Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. Amen and good morning, Journey Church. Um, I'm Jim Roden. I am the lead pastor here. I still have my voice. You can pray for Tyler to be able to finish uh, with the benediction today. He's losing his voice. We were talking in my office prayer before the message how amazing the Lord is at timing our illnesses so that you can be blessed and uh, at least one of us can preach all the time or a few times we've run into a a snag but not often God's really providential in how he does that listen I want to welcome you to Advent or Christmas season 2023 and that's kind of a a complicated some for some of you it's a kind of a churchy word Advent It actually comes from the Latin, and it actually means coming, coming, and associated with Advent. And the Advent season for Christians is the idea of waiting, waiting, waiting for his coming. Now, here's the fascinating thing for us. We're in the 21st century, and in many ways, Jesus has come. So what are we waiting for? Okay, so here's, here's how this works. Jesus has come historically, physically, his first advent. That's what we celebrate at the Christ Mass. The first coming of Jesus. But then for everyone who believes and receives the gospel, admits their need for a savior and receives the savior, Jesus comes. And so in one sense, he's already come twice for those of us who believe once historically, and then next spiritually. So what are we waiting for? Well, the third idea or nuance of this idea of of waiting is that we are awaiting his second return, or second coming, the return of Christ, at which time he will set up his kingdom perfectly. Not just a spiritual growing The difference between the now and the not yet. When Jesus comes, I guarantee you, he will will do better than this. So he will reign. And in the meantime, while we wait for his return, we wait. We wait upon him. We seek him. We pray. We take our hearts, concerns, our burdens, our needs to him in prayer. And guess what? We wait on him. We wait for his answers. We wait for his wisdom. We wait for the fulfillment of his promises to us and for us. And can I just say, Christians are some of the best waiters in the whole world. It's all throughout the scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, we are a waiting people. It's a spiritual discipline. It's why we want to use that word advent. It's because we are waiting upon the Lord. But can I just tell you, no matter who you are, waiting can get difficult. Life goes on in our youthful, hopeful expectancy. God can do anything. When you go year after year, without answers to your burdens. Even the most spiritual believer can get worn down and sometimes even slip into what we describe as spiritual cynicism. I love to run. Actually, that's not fully the full statement. I have a love-hate relationship with running. It's one of the worst things I do and one of the best things I do. Uh, Don't ask me to to explain that, but this past Wednesday, I was running a section of the phone line trail, and then out of the canyon through Lower Sabino Canyon, and I was just struck by how absolutely bone dry Lower Sabino Canyon is. This last year was very odd weather. This property was a magnet for torrential downpours. 4700 North Swan Road. But for the places where rain normally falls, 
on the Catalinas. In fact, it can actually make its own weather. It takes whatever's in the clouds, compresses it, and that, that mountain typically wrings the moisture out of the clouds. So when it's not raining down here, often it's raining up there. Well, we had a very wet winter at the beginning of 2023, a very dry, dry monsoon, especially up there, uh, and then a dry fall. And so normally this time of year, even if the, the river's not flowing, there's at least pools of this life-giving water. But on Wednesday, as I ran through there, nothing but dry sand, empty pools. And you know what? I, it's no wonder I don't see big game there right now. Normally I do. My son and I ride up to the helicopter pad. We look and look, there's a herd of javelina. Oh, there's deer. Oh, there's people. People come in there to play. But this time, this season, nothing but dry bones. And we're just watching and waiting, hoping for the rains to return physically to bring life-giving water to the canyon. And many of us understand this kind of desperate longing, this desperate waiting, waiting upon the Lord for things that burden our hearts, questions that are confusing, concerns and fears about our future. Maybe it's for you, maybe it's your career. You're in a dead-end career or you're coming to the end of your career and you're saying, what next? What now? What else? Where's my purpose? Maybe it's your finances. Something terrible has happened or, or it's just inflation. And you are just trying to make ends meet. And you're saying, Lord, I'm not being a jerk here. I'm, not, I'm being a spendthrift. And it's still just not working. Perhaps it's relational conflict or tension. Maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's with your children or your parents or with friends. And you've been asking the Lord to do something in them, something in you, something between the two of you. Could be an addiction. Something you keep going back to again and again and again. It's shameful. It's uncomfortable. You've begged the Lord to give you freedom and victory over that temptation. And yet you find yourself going back there again and again. Or maybe it's just... A lack of character transformation. You're tired of a part of who you are. That you are desperate for the Lord Jesus Christ to transform you and to conform you more into his likeness. And yet, the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into months and the months turn into years. And you're starting to give up. It's wearing you down. You are waiting for the rains to come. Can I tell you, it's easy to get discouraged and for doubt and fear and suspicion to begin to creep in, even for the most godly and seasoned. These things can wear us down. Discouragement and doubt are no respecter of persons. That means they don't say, oh, 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 that guy's a pastor. Can't go there. We're all subject to this kind of fear and discouragement. Well, today, we're going to dive into Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at two accounts that I believe Luke put together, the Holy Spirit through Luke, put together in tandem and in parallel. And quite often, we'll look at one or the other. Today, we want to look at both. Because we see just a beautiful compare and contrast example of what it means to wait. To not give in to fear and, dis and discouragement, to turn to cynicism. Luke chapter 1. Um, let me just tell you, for the Advent season, we're going to actually stay here. In Luke chapter 1 and 2. Five talks. Four for Sunday mornings, one for Christmas Eve service. All from Luke chapter 1 and 2. Today we are looking at the announcement... Of an angel to a man named Zachariah and a young woman named Mary. Now, today's also a family Sunday, again, and, and young people, children, babies. Isn't it so good to hear life all over the auditorium? Did you hear the babies during the scripture reading? 
And that's, that's by design. That's by design. I'm not going to go into that deep right now, but that is a choice that we make here. Not all the time, not every Sunday, but on Sundays like these. And so I actually have an assignment for you young people. All the way up through at least junior high. If you want to do high school and college, you can do that too. Actually, everyone. But kids especially, I've got an assignment for you. In addition to just listening to the narrative, the historical accounts that we're going to be unwrapping, I want you to be looking for for these three things between the accounts. Okay, first, what is the same about Zechariah and Mary and their experience with the angel? What is the same between the two? Start thinking. Secondly, what are the differences between Zechariah and Mary and their place in life? You got that? And then finally, how did they respond differently to the angel's miraculous promise to them? Okay? So I can't say that we're going to have a huge Q&A, but I want you to look for that. And we're so happy you're in here today. Now, before we jump into the account, I think it's really important to understand Luke's gospel. There's four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three of them are called the synoptics, meaning they align with each other. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Much of the same material, different style. They, they include different things. John's actually very different. There, there's a reason for that. But why Luke? What is it about Luke? And I think this is really important, and especially for those of you who are skeptical and wondering, why in the world would I become a Christian? Why would I believe the Bible? What is it that makes the Bible or any piece of literature in the Bible worth looking at? I think you really should take a look at who Luke was and what makes Luke special and why that's really important to the narratives that we're looking at today. So we're going to start by reading Luke's introduction, talking about it a little bit, and then we'll jump into the narrative. So here we are, Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Luke sets it up this way. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished amongst us, meaning there are many Christians that were trying to write down uh, and, and detail the things that, that happened with Jesus of Nazareth. He goes on to say, verse 2, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So Luke is admitting, I'm not an eyewitness. I've received some things. But that's not all. He says in verse 3, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some times past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Who's Theophilus? Well, he gives a little bit of a hint. Verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. We think most likely Theophilus is a Roman officer. officer. He is a seeker. He is very friendly. Or he's a new convert. The word, uh, therefore, um, taught is where we get the word catechesis or catechizing. And so he was learning a Christian catechism, and Luke wanted it to be orderly. He is the only gospel writer that says, hey, I have researched this, and I'm trying to put it in chronological order. So when we want to look and say, well, when did this happen? Only Luke claims chronological accuracy. Okay? We find out a few more things about Luke as we read the rest of the New Testament. According to Colossians chapter 4, and specifically as we compare verse 11 and 14, we discover that he is not Jewish. Luke is not Jewish. He is a Gentile believer in Jesus. That would make him the only non-Jewish writer of the New Testament. In verse 14 of Colossians 4, he is called by the Apostle Paul, the beloved physician. He's a medical doctor, y'all. You know what that makes him? A scientist. Okay, he looks at facts. He looks at diagnoses. He studies medicine. This is 
Luke. This is his mind. He's a medical doctor, and according to his own testimony in the introduction to Luke, as well as in Acts, this is actually a two-volume set, Luke's Gospel and the Acts of the Apostles. We discover that Luke is a brilliant researcher and historian. This is his angle. He approaches it logically and orderly and sequentially the important aspects of the life and ministry and teaching of Jesus. Now, there have been many skeptics along uh, the history of Christianity that have attempted to disprove Christianity and the resurrection and, and all these things. One individual in particular was a man named Sir William Ramsey. He was an archaeologist and professor at the University of Edinburgh um, in the 19th century and a little bit of the 20th century. And he had imbibed and taken in the teaching of, of uh, the higher critics and skeptics, liberal theologians of the day. And he did not buy Christianity as being a historical faith. And so his angle was he was going to use Acts, the second volume, because there's so much data in the book of Acts that he was going to go on an archaeological trip, and he did. And he was going to prove once and for all that you cannot trust the Bible, leveraging the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And this is how he came away from that experiment. Sir William Ramsey, eager to prove the theory that the book of Acts was an unhistorical second century document, rather than a first century eyewitness work it claims to be. He traveled through Asia Minor and Greece seeking archaeological proof that Luke was a fraud. The evidence which he uncovered, however, convinced him that Luke was not only who he claimed to be, but he was, and I quote, a historian of the first rank. He discovered in chronicling events in 32 countries and provinces, 54 cities, 9 islands, Luke had not made one error in his use of political titles or location of boundaries. And so when Luke is actually saying, hey, an orderly account, I'm doing research project. This is like beyond PhD level that's been checked and double checked. And that's important. We're going to come back to it in a moment, why that's so important. But for now, let's jump into the narrative, starting with Zechariah. Verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And this is really important. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They're really good believers. I mean, they're all out and upright. These are good people. These, these people are heroic concerning faith in Yahweh God. And I want you to remember that. This is a good man. The next verse begins with this conjunction. But. But. They had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren. That was looked upon as a really, really big bummer. Even by some called a curse. It was heavy. Everyone wanted a child, at least one child. They had no child. And now, even if they had not been infertile, look what it says next. Both were advanced in years. Now, here's a little bonus question. Does this sound familiar to any other Bible story you've ever heard? Let's just come back. Now, it says here in verse 8, Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, and his division was on duty. So what does that mean? Well, every male of serving age in the priestly line, Levitical priesthood, was a part of one of 24 different platoons, if you will. And every year they would take their turn and they would serve for two weeks in Jerusalem. They live in a priestly city 
But then their division, they would go and they would serve together at the temple. And that's how they were organized. 24 of these divisions. And it just so happens that Zechariah is on duty. It says in verse 9, according to the customs of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot. That means rolling the dice to see whose turn it was. He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Stop there. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Once he does this, he never gets to do it ever again. And on this day, the dice falls to him. And he enters behind the veil into what is described throughout the scriptures as the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place in the temple or tabernacle. It says in verse 10 that the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. He's in there burning incense before the Lord on behalf of the nation. The whole multitude were praying, uh, verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled. The word in the Greek, terasso, is onomatopoetic. It actually describes what he's feeling inside, terasso. He's torn apart within himself and deeply anxious, like, oh my goodness, what is this? He knew that if he messed up in there, he could die. There were others in the history of the Jews who didn't burn incense properly or a, pro a proper mixture, uh, Nadab and Abihu. And so he's already like being really careful, making sure he's right with God. He's burning this incense and then he sees this angelic messenger. He's troubled when he saw him and it says in fear, that's the word phobos, phobia, fell upon him. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Go before who? Him. you got to actually know the rest of the scriptures to know who him is in that context. This is a direct quote from Malachi chapter 4. The him is Messiah. Your son is going to be the forerunner of Messiah that was prophesied by the prophet Malachi. And he will go in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's his message. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am old, I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And that's going to be a really important question for our message today. How shall I know this? We've been barren our whole marriage. And now, even if we were fertile previously, we're too old. That's, that ship has sailed. So how will I know? Show me a sign? We don't know for sure, but we do know doubt, fear, unbelief has crept into this very, very godly man's heart. How do we know that? Because listen to what Gabriel says. The angels answered him, I am Gabriel. It's one of only two angels named throughout the 66 books of the biblical canon. Gabriel and Michael. Shows up in Daniel. Will show up again 
later on in Revelation, the angel answered, said to him, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news, and behold, you will be silent and up, unable to speak until the day that these things take place. You go, okay, there's his sign. How will I know? Well, the way you just said that, here's your sign. You don't get to talk for nine months. Why? Gabriel interprets Zachariah's question. How will I know? This is what Gabriel says. You won't be able to speak because you did not believe my words. Which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, back away once more time, uh, Luke. Luke the logical. Luke the researcher. Luke the scientific. And the opening salvo. Signs, wonders, and miracles. All over the place. I mean, angels. Not just any angel. The angel Gabriel. Okay? And, and the reason why I want to just point that out. Luke's not making this up. He's a first century. He's living around the times. He's gathering the data. He's testing it. He's throwing out the, the, the garbage. Uh, the, the mythologies and the, the rumors. He's just the facts, ma'am. And guess what's happening with the facts? Signs, wonders, and miracles. God is on the move. God does miracles. Angels exist. Prayer requests that have been prayed and forgotten, perhaps. Hearts that have become cynical. And God still answers those prayers. And Luke is saying, I researched that. He's not a fruit loop. He's not a mystic. He doesn't spiritualize it. He's just going, here are the facts. God is real. And God answers prayer. And I want you to just think about it. That's not the major point of the talk, but it's a fascinating understanding of Luke's account. He's not making this stuff up. And by the way, an additional uh, evidence for Luke's great accuracy is that he does not whitewash the account. If you're going to make up a religion, you make the villains very villainous, but the heroes are heroic. And here we have a great heroic man of God. And Luke is telling the full story. Dirt included. The great and obedient Zechariah is also a man who struggles in his heart with doubt, fear, suspicion, and cynicism. You ever been there? How shall I know? I had a ministry partner, and one day I was just telling him a story. It wasn't that sensational. It was very believable. It was a real story. I, I really lived it, and I'm just telling him the story. And he is looking at me like with this, looking out of the side of his face, grinning like, dude, you're lying to me. And I was like, I'm just telling him the story. And he's looking at me with this cynical, mocky stare. And I said, note to self, do not share your stories with this man. I was just, just it was off-putting. And I imagine this is Gabriel, and even the heart of God, going, I love you, but this is really off-putting. I mean, hello, you're in the Holy of Holies, you don't expect something grand? But when he, and you prayed, likely the prayer request was for a son. But you didn't expect an answer, did you? And the smirk on his face, the question mark in his heart, the question of his tongue. How will I know? Yeah, right. Where have we seen this kind of cynicism in biblical history before? Can I just read to you the account? There's parallels throughout. These are great people. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. 
And Sarah was listening at the tent behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. You know what that means, right? Ask your mom. (laughs) Verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself, within herself, saying, quote, in her heart she's singing this, after I am worn out and my Lord, Abraham, is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Oh, and you got to love this. Is anything too hard for the Lord, the angel of the Lord that we believe is a pre-incarnate manifestation, the second person of the Godhead, a theophany, meaning an appearance of God in a physical form? Is anything too hard for the Lord, the angel of the Lord says? And he goes on to say, at the appointed time, I will return to you, Abraham, about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid, and he said, no, you did laugh. I saw the smirk on your face. I saw the doubt in your eyes. I could read the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Yeah. People that have seen the miracles of God walked in the faith where miracles are a part of the worldview, and yet, but yeah, but not for me. Not now. Not for us. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I want to just do a quick review of who who, uh, Zechariah is and why this should have not been so. Quickly, he was a priest. He was from the tribe of Levi. This is the same tribe as Moses and Aaron and Ezra and Asaph. He had access to all of the scriptures. In fact, as a priest, he likely had the Old Testament, at least the five first five books called the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, he likely had at least all five of those books memorized. He was a man who not only read and memorized the accounts that it contained miracles, he believed in the God of miracles. But what does he say when a miracle comes to him? How will I know? Maybe he even laughed to himself. Doubt and discouragement are no respecter of persons, are they? In fact, here's a fill in the blank. And I want to be really careful here. I'm not picking on old people. You want to know why? Not only are they precious to God, but I'm becoming one. But here's the warning. Age and obedience do not guarantee an expectant faith. I really think that expectant faith should grow over time. In fact, there's scriptures that, should, that recommend that. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 37, 25. I've been young and now I am old. I've got age and experience. I've been observing life. The person says, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. That's how it should be. I've got age and experience. God has never let us down. He's always been faithful, and that should actually contribute to a robust and resilient, expectant faith. But sometimes just the opposite occurs. Why is that? Well, I just described to you what is so unique about Zechariah. But let me just double back on some of the challenges that he and Elizabeth have faced. It had been 400 years since God had given a prophetic word to his people. Malachi chapter 4, and then 400 years of silence until this moment. You think that that could make you a little bit cynical? Four hundred years of silence. Israel was not the joyful people of God. They were actually under the rule of a tyrant named Herod the Great, the one that massacred the baby boys of Bethlehem. This was a brutal time. 
for the Jewish people. Difficult days for the Jews. Zechariah and Elizabeth were childless, childless. They had prayed for a son. But the window for childbearing was over. They were old. They were obedient, but they were worn down by years of adversity. Can you relate? That joyful enthusiasm and hopeful expectancy of youth, you've just renegotiated and say, you know what? He's probably not returning in my lifetime. Better knuckle down. This is just going to be hard. But what if he showed up? What if he answered a prayer, a cry of your heart? Would you laugh? <laughs> yeah, right. Or would there be a joyful expectancy? Yep, I knew you were good. It had been years since the rain had fallen for Zechariah and Elizabeth and the Jewish people. And the creek bed was dry. And so they quit hoping. Has life and difficulties worn you down? Have you given up? Have you capitulated? Has cynicism started to creep into your heart? I know I am not immune from this as well. Drank too much coffee late at night this past week. I don't remember what night. Probably Wednesday night after that run through Lower Sabino. I woke up like, ping, it's 12.30. And I'm like, oh my goodness, the night's not even half over. And I'm awake, and what do I have to think about? The future. Who am I? What am I doing here? Am I good at anything? What's now? What next? When? How? What? And, and God, I, I had a greater anticipatory, hopeful expectation when I was 21. Now, in the middle of the night, I'm fearing, feeling a little bit of fear. Hit pause. I'm not immune to this same discouragement. You? So we're not too hard on Zachariah and Elizabeth, are we? Because we know they hold up a mirror for us as well. I do need to point out, though, that he was disciplined. He was disciplined for his lack of expectant faith. The writer of Hebrews would write it this way in Hebrews 11.6, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not improbable, impossible. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he's the kind of God that rewards those who seek him. He loves it when we maintain that hopeful expectation even in the midst of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Let's pick up the account in verse 21 and finish this part. Uh, because it's really important, before we jump into the second narrative, the people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay in the temple. Then when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized they had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And guess what happened? <laughs> Verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying... Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And this is so important, so important, so important for those of us who start to be plagued by doubt and suspicion and fear and cynicism. I want you to hear this. Disciplined, though not disqualified. <laughs> Disciplined. Yes, because he... You can't doubt God and get away with that. He's good. He loves those who wait on him and expect him to be good. Even if he doesn't give the, the answer in a timely manner. You will have discipline, but not disqualification. The discipline is positive. It's restorative. 
It's growth producing. It's instructive. Disciplined, not disqualified. All right, let's jump into the second narrative. It says here in the sixth month, sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel, same angel, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. This is the uh, same word, terasso, but with the Greek preposition dia. Dia terasso. Like really troubled at the saying. And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's not bringing up a judgment, but she is really confused. Like, what in the world is going on right now? And it says here, verse 28, he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Said that already. Verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel. Notice the difference in the question. Instead of how will I know? She says how will this be? Since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month, month which with her who was called barren. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Sound familiar? Genesis 18. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Okay, kids, here's the questions. What is the same with Zechariah and Mary and their experience with the angel? I can take about one. I'll fill in the rest. Anything? An extroverted young child? Want to take a stab at it? What's the same about these two? Huh? Did I hear something? Someone with a loud voice shouted out. Doubt? Okay, maybe a little bit of doubt. Okay, anything else? Fear? Okay, Tarasso. That's overwhelmed. Hey, they have the same... What? They're both godly, favored, honor God. They're both Jewish. Totally different class in places, but they're all Jewish. Okay, what? Same angel, same messenger. Hey, same kind of set of prophecies. They're all messianic prophecies. There's over 300 from the Old Testament that are now being fulfilled. Same set of prophecies, same messenger. Same kind of problem, right? Birth, conception, making babies. One's been barren and, and is too old, and the other goes like, look, we're not doing that. But both of them are going to get pregnant. There's lots of similarities and parallels here. You know what, I'm going to put a pin on that. I, I don't know what you said or how to respond. That's okay. But there are a lot of similarities and parallels going on here. That's my main point. Kids, you did great. And adults, jumping in. Good job. What are the differences? What are the differences? Okay, just kids this time. What's the difference? Any. They're both Jewish, but they're different people. How? Age, gender, class, uh, status, priestly ruling, 
serving in the temple, proximity to the temple, acquaintance with the scriptures. Oh, she knows scripture, but not like he does. There's a lot of things in the account that should actually put him ahead in the game. He's got more life and experience of God's faithfulness to the people of Israel and in his own life, and yet we see a very different response. Different response. Zechariah asks, how will I know? And the angel says, you didn't believe me. And Mary asks, how shall this be? I believe it, but I'm confused how that's going to work. Those are actually two different things. And here's the fill in the blank. And again, I'm not picking on old people. I'm becoming one. And I'm no longer, uh, Mary is likely 13 years old. They married very young. And so here's the fill in the blank. Youth and inexperience do not preclude trust and surrender. Old age and obedience don't guarantee an expectant faith, but ah, youth and inexperience do not preclude trust and surrender. Grown-ups, grown-ups, we cannot preclude or vote out or disqualify young people and say, yeah, but they haven't been tested. Mary had not been tested. This was her test. And guess what? She passed it with flying colors. She wasn't perfect. We reject a, a, a title, Mother of God. Well, she was mother, the mother of Jesus of Nazareth. God is infinite without beginning or end. Mary is not co-redemptress. I'm not here to pick on Catholics. I'm just saying that she's not co-redemptress. She needed a savior. But she got to be the mother of Jesus of Nazareth. She believed and she surrendered. Later on in Luke's gospel, Jesus goes, ah, ah, be very careful how you view young people. This is what he said. They were beginning to bring even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Get away. You guys are just kids. But Jesus called to them, them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. We are told by Jesus to mimic the faith of young people. They teach us something about this hopeful, expectant faith. And no matter how difficult life is or becomes, no matter how long the dark night of the soul, do not give way to cynicism, doubt, fear, and suspicion. Here's the bottom line of our message today. Reject fear and suspicion. Reject it. Don't do that. Don't go there. Reject fear and suspicion as we wait for him in trust and surrender. How do we do this? How do we practice this? Can I give you a quick tool? What did I do mid middle of the week when I woke up at 1230 and I'm just have some fears what's going on what now what next what else what what's 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 my life purpose goal worth is is this just it or what what did I do when I was feeling that discomfort I started to practice good mental and emotional and spiritual hygiene I took a shower in my mind by remembering scripture and looking back on his faithfulness in my life and the history of the world can i just give you a few that i go over you'll see some of them up here on the screen proverbs 3 5 through 6 jessica martinez had a power washer sprayer and she actually just wrote this right outside those windows proverbs 3 Five through six. She didn't write the whole thing. She just put the scripture reference. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Your whole heart. 
Do not lean on your own understanding. That's filled with fear, doubt, and suspicion. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. To borrow one from our, the closing sermon of our First John series, it was in the slide deck. I go, I got to keep it in the slide deck. First John 5, 14 through 15. This is the confidence that we have toward him. If he, we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Good mental, emotional, spiritual hygiene. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, and I quote, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not what? Fear. What can man do to me? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Galatians 6, 9, the Apostle Paul said, let us not grow weary because waiting can wear us down. Let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season. We will reap if we do not give up. What the angel of the Lord said to Abraham and Sarah, Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then finally, from this text this morning, Luke 1, 37, for nothing will be impossible for God. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for your patience and kindness with us as we wait, as we sometimes go through death's dark valley, as we grieve the losses of life, as we sometimes are even tempted to give up on hope that you're going to show up in our lifetime physically and set up your kingdom, or sometimes we just give up hope that you're going to display your goodness to us. We go, how can I get out of this mess? And yet, Lord, you are faithful. You are good. You rescue those who turn to you in humility. Not always immediately in the way we think that you will, but Lord, you are faithful. And we want to be a people that reflect that. Thank you for Zachariah. Thank you for your kindness and faithfulness to him. Thank you for Mary in displaying just that expectant faith through a young Jewish girl. Lord, may our hearts continue to hope and trust and expect your goodness while we wait upon you. In Jesus' name we pray, and if you agree with that, say amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.